1: You know, it's a funny thing about humankind. We we have this tendency to remember people in their moments of weakness and failure. If I say Thomas today, you're probably going to think immediately, doubting Thomas, right? All right, uh, David and Bathsheba, Samson and
0: Delilah. What is that all about, you know? I mean... Interesting point and interesting questions. This is Study Verse by Verse, a look at God's Word every day, Monday through Friday, from Pastor Layton Sheely of Church of the Highlands in San Bruno and he's in the book of John continuing in the 11th chapter the story of the death of Lazarus and we'll pick up where we left off yesterday. More details about the church are on the web at highlands.us And
1: he says, I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there so that you may believe. Now it doesn't mean that he was rejoicing that Lazarus died. But his point here was that because Lazarus died and because he was going to go and resurrect him from the dead, that action was going to do more than simply healing Lazarus from some sickness in terms of encouraging and strengthening the disciples' faith that they were desperately going to need for what lied ahead. What lies ahead in Passion Week. Now, it's interesting because Jesus here uses the aorist tense that would normally suggest the beginning of faith. But that doesn't make sense to some of us because the disciples already have some degree of faith. They're there with Jesus, right? So why would Jesus use an aorist tense to suggest that there was a new faith? Well, it's because whatever layer of faith that we might be at, whatever level of faith we might be at, there's always a deeper or higher level. And sometimes we go through life's difficult times so that through those difficult times, the glory of the Lord can be revealed to us, sometimes in us and sometimes through us, so that our faith grows and it becomes a new faith. It's not like the old faith. It's better. It's stronger. Faith is progressive, and we should be alert to that because some of us might have become complacent and say, oh, I like my faith just where it is. I don't want to grow anymore. But there's so many more levels of faith that we can experience. Now, in those days, Jewish people had two names. They had a Hebrew name, and then they had a Greek name. Uh, For instance, Peter is Greek for Cephas, which is Hebrew. And Tabitha is Hebrew for Dorcas, which is Greek. And so the author here says, Thomas, who is called Didymus. Thomas is the Hebrew. Didymus is the Greek. Both words mean twin. And by the way, there's this pattern in this gospel where the author is talking in terms of Hebrew terms and Greek terms. Continuously describing Because a lot of the audience that he's writing to is not Jewish. The earlier Gospels were written primarily to Jewish audiences. But this Gospel is written 50 years after Jesus' ministry. Well, you remember that some of the historians told us that about 30 years... Initially, Jesus was Jewish, the disciples were Jewish, all of the early believers were Jewish. But within 30 years, most of the believers were not Jewish. They were Gentiles who'd come to faith in, in Jesus Christ. And so the author here is recognizing that. And he's intentionally and carefully trying to write this for both the Jewish audience as well as the non-Jewish audience. That's why he begins his gospel using the word to describe Jesus because it was a concept that people from the Hebrew heritage would understand and people from the Greek heritage would understand as well. So he says, Thomas, who is called Didymus, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go so that we may die with him. Now remember, Bethany is just two miles outside of Jerusalem. You know, it's somewhat curious to us to find Thomas taking the lead here. Makes you wonder where Peter was. You see, Thomas is not usually the spokesperson or the leader of the 12, but here he takes the initiative. This was an act of courage, and it was an act of leadership, and it was an act of loyalty. Thomas looked death in the face and shows death with Jesus rather than life without him. Well, if Jesus is going, I'm going with him. And if Jesus dies, I'm dying with him. When the other disciples were saying, let's not go to Jerusalem. Let's not go near it. It shows real devotion and real courage. You know, in reading through some of the scholars in preparation for this, one of the scholars brought up this, this issue. He said, you know, it's curious that when Jesus appeared to the disciples who were hiding in the upper room, when he, Jesus has just been resurrected and appeared to the disciples that were hiding, hiding in the upper room, where was Thomas? Because it says he wasn't there. And I said, one one wonders if maybe Thomas was the only one who had the courage not to be hiding with the others. You know, it's a funny thing about humankind. We we have this tendency to remember people in their moments of weakness and failure. If I say Thomas today, you're probably going to think immediately, doubting Thomas, right? So I say Thomas, doubting. All right, uh, David and Bathsheba. Samson and... Delilah. Okay, all right. What is that all about? You know, I mean, 2,000 years, you know, doubting Thomas. I mean, Pastor Burt, how would you like it if 2,000 years from now somebody says, you remember Pastor Burt? Oh, yeah. Doubting Pastor Burt. <laughs> 2,000 years from now. Yeah, you know, there's something about humankind we like to focus on the weaknesses and the failures, probably because we have so many we're aware of in ourselves, and it makes us feel better about ourselves. But the fact of the matter is, Thomas was a man of great courage, great loyalty, and he chose, Jesus chose him to be one of the apostles. Out of all of the men of the world, he was chosen to be an apostle. And you know, in all of the other Gospels, the only thing we know about Thomas is his name, because he's only listed, listed among the, the apostles. It's only here in the Gospel of John we actually get some stories about Thomas and how he talked and how he thought and how he acted. And uh, it seems to indicate that his motive was to understand the truth To the extent that it would overcome the hesitancy of his mind. He wanted to believe and overcome his own hesitancy to faith. True faith didn't come easy for Thomas. You remember when Jesus had appeared to the apostles. And they go and tell Thomas. And Thomas said, I'm not going to believe until I... See the nail prints until I put my fingers in them, until I put my hand in his side. And then, when Jesus revealed himself to Thomas, Thomas said, My Lord and my God. The doubter was transformed into a believer. And you know, the final proof, the greatest proof, if you will, of Christianity is what Christ can do transforming people. In words, words can sometimes fail and, and words can lead to re- words that are an in argument in, in return. But the fact that Jesus can turn a coward into a hero, a doubter into someone that's filled with conviction and certainty, a selfish person into a servant of others, a bad person into someone good. Who can argue with that? And that lays a tremendous responsibility on every individual believer because God has designed it in such a way that each and every one of us need to be living proof of the power of Christ in our lives to transform us. Now they went through this difficult time and they asked Jesus for help. They didn't say how to fix it, when to fix it. They just said, Jesus, we have a problem. Lazarus is sick. Jesus, God already knows what our needs are before we ask. So, Some might ask, well, if the purpose is not to make the information, you know, oh, surprise, I didn't know that, you know, to the Lord. If if the Lord already knows, then we're not informing him. And if he doesn't need our help planning how to respond, then what is the point? And the point is simply this, acknowledging that we have a need and the Lord can provide and we're looking to the Lord to provide. Sometimes we go through difficult times in life, and they are filled with tears and sorrows and trials, and it's important for us to constantly remind ourselves that in everything, God has a purpose. I have gone through difficult times, and when I go through those difficult times, Romans 8.28 comes to mind. And I recite Romans 8.28 again and again and again and again. And we know that all things work together for good. To those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Difficult times? All things work together for good. Hopeless times? All things work together for good. To those who love him and are called according to his purpose. What is his purpose? That God might be glorified. That God might be glorified. If we love him and our desire is to glorify him, then all things work together for good.
0: A scripturally sound truth, something we need to be reminded of on a regular basis, don't we? You've been listening to Verse by Verse with Pastor Leighton Sheely, teaching from the pulpit at Church of the Highlands in San Bruno. This being Friday, let me remind you of the service times. You can join us on Saturday at five PM, Sunday morning at seven AM, eight thirty AM, ten A.M. eleven thirty AM, and then there's another evening service on Sunday. At 6 o'clock. And remember to always check the website at highlands.us for those service times. They do change seasonally on occasion. That's highlands.us. I'm Mike Trout. Thank you for joining us today. Have a great weekend and come back on Monday for more from the book of John as we study verse by verse.